the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A faithful parishioner in a parish was given a terminal illness diagnosis and told she only had three months to live. So as she got her affairs in order, part of her planning was to call in her local pastor. He had her over, they shared some tea and uh, laughed and talked and, and talked about her wishes for her favorite hymns and her favorite scripture passages. She even asked if she could be buried with her favorite Bible. After enjoying some time together, he stood to take his leave, but before he got to the door, she jumped up excitedly and said, oh, there's one last thing. And he turned and said, what's that? She said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. Trying to not let his jaw drop too evidently, he leaned in and waited for an explanation. She said, well, in all my years in the church, whether we had um, fellowships or potlucks or covered dishes, um, when we would gather, as the dishes were being pulled away and people were pushing in dishes to be cleaned up, someone would always lean over and say, keep your fork. And she said it was my favorite time of those gatherings because I knew that what was to come was either like a really velvety chocolate cake or some deep dish apple pie or someone's favorite crumble that they were known for. She said, I always knew something better was on the way. So she said, you know, bury me with a fork in my right hand. So when people look at it and say, what is that about? You can say, the best is yet to come. We need that reminder at times, right? We need that reminder in life. Um, because we go through life so often, either in, in different places. There's ups and downs, highs and lows, right? We have those moments where we think, this is great. Life is rocking along. I have all the wonderful things that I could ever need. And we need that reminder, keep your fork. It only is going to get better. You ain't seen nothing yet. And at other times, when we feel like life has dished out all that we can take, and we don't want anymore. We need that reminder, hold on to your fork. It will get better. We need those reminders in life. And, and in many ways, if I could kind of associate it this way, um, Hebrews 11 that we have before us this morning, that we know well is kind of a keep your fork passage. It's a reminder, faith looks forward. Faith looks to what we know is coming. So this morning, if you would, if you'd open there in your Bible to Hebrews 11 with me. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screens. Um, let's look at what I believe are maybe three lessons in a faith looks forward passage. Now, in verse 1, we're really given the definition of faith. If anybody ever asks you, what, what is faith? What is this thing you guys as Christians believe? Here it is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Now, our mind usually wanders at that point. Well, how can I have an assurance in things hoped for? And what are my convictions that I have not yet seen? What is that going to entail? And, and really, the author to the Hebrews, uh, before we can kind of put up some sort of a, a defense, or maybe before we start questioning too much, um, they continue by saying in verse 2, for it is the people of old who receive their commendation. It is by the people of old that they receive their commendation. There's a wonderful reminder in what unfolds in the heart of this passage, right? 
in these exemplars, these examples that we see, um, that their faith was their commendation. It's not what they got. It's not what they received, but their commendation was their faith. Their faith looked forward to, as we'll look at, um, some incredible things, some incredible promises of God. And so, in many ways, their faith um, was what, what kept them rooted in this life. It was their always looking forward moment, right? Um, and so, in many ways, I think this uh, is a great first reminder for us as we look at this passage and we look at our lives, our faith forward lesson that we begin with is, of course, this reminder that faith looks forward to the promises of God always looks forward to the promises of God. And we need that, because so many times in life, we have promises that are made or that we receive day in and day out. We're bombarded with promises, many of which don't hold their weight. They can be as simple as the daily ads you get bombarded with in advertising realms. Um, remember now, I am the only male in my household, including the animals, so I pay more attention to some of these ads. About every month, there's a new mascara ad, longer and fuller lashes than the ad that was there last month that you saw. And you think, surely there's no way. Um, I've been assured that, there, that it never really produces results. But um, it it's always sounds great, and lots of money goes into it. Promises made, right? That's a lighter end of these things. On a weightier end, right, we make ourselves promises. Other people make promises to us that often don't hold the weight. And so we're skeptical of promises, right? Um, and so we have the promises of God which we know are unchanging and unwavering. And our faith is what clings to that. And before we move on um, to this next part of our text, there's this wonderful reminder by a contemporary German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, who writes of faith. This is a wonderful quote. Uh, faith binds man to Christ. Hope sets faith open to the comprehensible future of Christ. Hope is therefore the inseparable companion of faith. Without faith's knowledge of Christ, hope becomes a utopia and remains hanging in the air. But without hope, faith falls to pieces, becomes a faint-hearted and ultimately dead faith. It is through faith that man finds the path of true life, but it is only hope that keeps his feet on that path. It's a wonderful reminder that we need to be guarded by the hope that we have in the promises of God on where we are headed, right? And so lest we doubt, lest we wonder, that sounds great. I want to hold on to a promise that is unwavering. I know that God's promises are true. Um, but if we have these moments of doubt, thankfully, as we turn to verse 3 and following, we have this litany of by faith reminders. So let's turn back there for a moment. Before we get into the examples that follow, the first by faith statement is a wonderful one that uh, could be an entire teaching unto itself just on this verse. By faith we understand. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Think about that. By faith we understand the visible. We often think of it in different terms, that we understand the visible through all these concrete sort of things, or somehow that those things are evidence to or further explanations of what we see around us, but the author of the Hebrews reminds us that it's actually by faith that we understand what we see. 
that was created out of the very word, the very mouth of God that spoke everything into being and ordered it as we see it with such intricacy. Um, as we can behold the moment we walk out our door in the morning and as we think about often when our bodies aren't functioning in the way they should and everything in between, that it's by faith that we make sense of the world around us. So our promise or our, our hope, if you will, is not in making sense of the world that we see it by the evidence thereof, but rather by faith we grasp even what we see around us come to a further depth and understanding of it. With that in mind, the author of the Hebrews goes on with, with upwards of seven by faith statements, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Sarah, by faith Abraham, as we go through the heart of this passage to give us evidence of that. That each one there, by faith, that was their commendation, clung, cleaved to the promises of God, and never really full the full, saw the full extent of those promises come to pass, even in their own lifetime. So they, they move through life not just only holding on to the promises of God, but the promises of God even give them purpose in the midst of not fully seeing them come to pass. And we, we think about this, right? Um, we think about all the examples. Um, Abel offers the best he has to God, not even really knowing what that means or, or what will come of it. Um, Noah, building an ark in, in a time that doesn't look all that different probably from August in Texas um, when there's no rain in sight and looks silly to the rest of the world. Um, by faith, Abraham walks out from a homeland to a place that is yet to be disclosed, mind you. He didn't get the marching orders. He was just told to go from the land of Ur. As he goes, it's revealed. When he gets there, he's promised, as we heard, a nation to come from him in his old age, and as laughable as it is, that son Isaac, right, is the one who would be the beginning of a nation of people that they don't even lay their full eyes upon, Abraham and Sarah, right? So there, there's this wonderful reminder that by faith, they not only just say, yes, I believe God to bring these things to path, pass, but it also gives them purpose in the midst of their life. I think that's a helpful thing for us to think about. Um, we're called to have these fork-in-hand moments, not just saying, yeah, yeah, the best will come. But in light of that, what moves our feet? What gives us purpose? Like these elders of old, these exemplars in Scripture, both on the pages and off that we can recount and recall. What purpose does it give us? What do we do with that promise that we cling to? It, it gives us, by faith, the opportunity um, to go out in Jesus' name and reach our neighbors, those in our workplace, those in our schools and around us, not ever really sometimes seeing the deposits that are brought forth. We sow um, into people the good news of Jesus. God brings forth the growth, right? He brings forth the fruit. Sometimes we never see the extent of it. Um, by faith, we invest in the kingdom of God and may never see the full lasting legacy of what progresses. We just catch what is in our lifetime. By faith, well, we go out and, and live differently, forgive as we have been forgiven, um, maybe even though the one that we've forgiven may never change or, or may never um, you know, uh, have any difference in thought toward us. By faith, we do these things, not just saying, yes, we believe better things will come, and so we just cling to that, but it moves our feet in purposeful ways that by faith reshapes and reorders the way in which we live. 
and why? Why, why, why do this? What, what drives those of old, what drives us, really comes at the end of our reading um, in verse 13, if we turn back there and think about this a bit further. Verse 13 and following, we're reminded, as we've talked about, that all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they've been thinking of the land which they had gone out from, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. This is the best line, I think. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's their hope. That is what they're looking forward to. They go through this life not only clinging to the promises, not only ordering their lives according to the promises that gives them purpose, but they do it because they know that this is not a place of permanence. Wherever they are, whatever new homeland they're in, whatever um, offspring they have, no matter how many sheep and cattle that the Lord brings to them, at the end of it all, that is not their place of permanence. Their place of permanence is yet to come. Where they will see the extent of those promises realized when they dwell with God forevermore. And they greet those promises from afar because they're waiting to receive those promises with us as well and all who have fulfillment of that promise by faith in Jesus Christ who gives us access back to God so that as he returns to redeem and restore everything we see in us as well, that there is our place of permanence. Nothing else in life is permanent. We know that. And thus, it shapes the way in which we live. I'll leave you with one last quote here, a wonderful one that actually was written not all that long after these words. It actually comes from an epistle, a letter um, to Diognesis, and it, it talks about how we live in this way. And I'll quote, Christians dwell in their own country, but only as sojourners. They bear their share of all responsibility as citizens, and they endure all hardship as strangers. Every foreign country is a homeland to them, and every homeland is foreign. Their existence on, is on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. I love that line. Every foreign country is a homeland to them, and every homeland is foreign. They make their place where they are, but they know that that is not their home. And those words were written to an apathetic set of Roman Christians. Roman Christians who were kind of at ease where they were, um, and this was a way to challenge them to remember, this is not your place of permanence. And in many ways, while times have changed, empires come and go, the human heart remains the same, and we need that reminder. This is not a place of permanence. That as we go through this life, wherever we are, every foreign country is a homeland to us, wherever we lay our head, and we are citizens therein, and good ones, as Paul reminds us in Romans. But every homeland is foreign, no matter where we are or how long we reside there, because it will not be our home. It's transient. And thus, we not only look to the promises that shape our purpose in Christ, but lastly, we remember that because of this, as we've been looking at, um, that faith forward looks to the permanent place of our residence forevermore in the presence of God. That's what we await. That's what we look forward to. 
So what do we do with this? What do we do with uh, being reminded of the promise of, of the purpose we have and the fact that we look, we strive, we lean, we yearn in to our place of permanence? I believe um, we've gone through, of course, stated the obvious here, right? An extraordinary season. Um, as we look to re-embarking in another fall, most of us have re-engaged in some rhythm of worship, and that's step one. But might I urge you that step two, your plus one, one hour a week, maybe 90 minutes if I'm being completely transparent, find times to be in God's Word. Not just individually, which I trust you're doing daily, but um, corporately. That's why we're doing this training. That's why CBS has offered community Bible study for those in our area on Tuesday nights. Um, you can't shake a stick and not hit a group that's opening God's Word here this fall. Be there and invest in those times. You need to be reminded of the promises daily amidst all that's thrown at you. You need to share about how it's given you purpose and being challenged and encouraged by others who share about the purpose they've found. And may we all, in doing so, lean to one another, to the right and the left, just as we do at Potlucks. Hang on to your fork. The best is yet to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.